Hello and welcome to Rearview, the show where we get to chat to the fascinating people from the motoring universe, learning how they got to where they are today. I'm Andrew and this is episode 35. We are now on to part two of my conversation with Stuart Gallagher, the editor of Evo, and we're going to leap straight back into our chat and now we're going to learn something about his car history. I think this would be a good opportunity to go through your car history. Oh, God, really? You're, you're, yes, yes, we have to do this. We have to. This, this is the point in which you can unburden yourself, potentially, of some some hidden horrors or some... You can you have the opportunity to weep about the ones that you sold on and you shouldn't have. So, uh, first thing I want to ask, though, is when did you pass your test? How old were you? Uh, I was 17. I'd been born in... Uh, and two days, or no. was it a bit longer? <laughs> being, being born in uh, November was a real pain, so I had to wait until after Christmas before I could get anywhere to get a test booked in. So, uh, yeah, that frustrating thing of having, having to have lessons, and then, oh, you're ready for a test, but it's Christmas, so you'd have to wait for the new year. Um, <laughs> and uh, being young and naive and not realising the driving instructor just wanted more money, it was like, oh... And uh, as you've had a break over Christmas, we need to have a couple more lessons before you can have your... Yes, yes. You just just refresh it, because I want to make sure you've not yeah. dropped anything off, yeah. Yeah, so that was... Um, <laughs> yeah, much to my parents' dismay, that was my focus throughout my... You know, I think from my GCSEs, all I could think of is, right, counting down the days from 17. They were like, no, you've got some exams. Yeah, no, but I'm going I'm to be 17 soon. I need to pass my test. Um, and that, there was a whole group of us. There was six or seven of us, and we were all the same... Um, Going part that was the focus. Pass your test and buy the best car we could find. Um, although at the time, of course, it was our pride and joy, but um, budgets kind of dictated what they were. So I and I started off with two minis with the intention of making one good one, and I think actually, <laughs> um, yeah, is this where you found out that you're you're not uh, a wielder of spanners? I, I knew that I knew that anyway, but I still thought I'd buy two minis. A um, because that's what you do when you're 17 and you've got no money. You buy a Oh yeah, you yeah. buy an eight fifty that you've sprayed a mini eight fifty that you've sprayed in your mate's garage one night, um, and then you buy a mini clubman off your brother's mate. Then without thinking, there's a reason why it's been sat under a tarpaulin on his drive for two years. Um, but you think it's a good idea to do an engine swap um, on your parents' um, recently um, new driveway and drop a load of oil on it and um, never get they'll be fine with that that won't be a problem at all will it so at one point they had two minis that neither worked in the corner of their driveway um i I didn't succeed and a big patch of oil yeah it uh, yeah it it soon went back into the ground um one of those things i came home one came on home one night and one of the minis was gone because dad had got fed up and just found the local scrappy luckily I'd moved them around that day, so the scrappy took the right one away, and not the one that was working. So, um, Ooh, yeah, I, yeah, left with an eight fifty. That uh, the engine mounts kept breaking, and the bonnet kept popping up. But other than that, it was fantastic because it was that that may make driving uh, exciting. Yeah, it, was, it was the first time. It's amazing we get used to um, <laughs> passengers. Adapt. Passengers obviously don't get used to it, but. Um, <laughs> You still get a technique of um, making sure you look in your mirror before you break to try and close it. And uh, <laughs> but yeah, that I mean, it was great. It was freedom. You know, it was, mm. it was the days before mobile phones. That's how. That's you know, it was. You had to go out in your car and you went and picked your mates up and you just went out and drove aimlessly, just either on your own or with a mate in the car and. Because you can. Because you could, yeah, you can, and you could, and um, and it wasn't, and it it doesn't feel 
like you were being penalised because you could drive. Yeah, Matt, it was, it was, yeah, it was, it was a couple of friends that had motorbikes and I hadn't. And you think, oh, missing out on something, but actually waiting for a car, I think was um, was a good thing to do because it, it just, um, it, yeah, it was just the. No. Well, you you still had the skin on your legs. And well, yeah, like you, that, had, you had that, and also more than thirty-six miles an hour, which was um, <laughs> which was always the the fun bit. Oh yeah, we've got mopeds. It's like yeah, but you're going very slowly, and it takes you an hour to do do a twenty-mile journey. So um, <laughs> no, it just it was just uh, it was that thing that cements the whole car thing. You think yeah, this is what I need to do something with cars. It's just well, to be fair, you did start off with okay. They they may have not been the uh, most perfect examples, but to start off with minis is quite good. Really. Oh yeah, it was great. I mean, we, there was, th- I think was, at one point there was three of us with them, um, all in various states of disrepair and tune. Desperately looking for a giant tube to yeah. drive down. Looking for a tube and kept <laughs> driving too closely to behind buses and the doors never opened. And um, it was great fun, yeah. Just sort of, um, and of course it's in a mini eight fifty, and so you weren't actually going that fast at all. Um, so it's kind of safe, um, which is how I used to sell it to myself. And it is safe, just all driving around aimlessly with nowhere to go. Um, and uh, yeah, I think so. I seem to remember we ate a lot of Burger King because that was the nearest fast food place to drive to, being out in the sticks. So um, it was like, oh, who wants a Burger King? So you'd have dinner at home, then get in your car and drive to Burger King and have a whopper for. For no reason other than you just wanted to go out, an excuse to go out in your car. Well, the fridge is full of milk, so we have to think of something else. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No, it's great. it was. So, how how long did you have those for, uh, or the the one that worked for? I'm trying to think. Oh, uh, then I had, I went. Yeah, that was. I had the A50 while I was at school doing A levels and stuff, and then I went to college, which meant driving a bit further up the road. Um, and I did I did for six months or so in the mini, and got to winter, and thought this isn't very this isn't much fun anymore um, with no heater and uh, misting up and no radio. And it was great while you're just bombing around locally. But when you've got to do sort of 40 miles a day, it wasn't all that. So um, I actually tarted that up and painted it again and bought some new chrome and stuff and tried to get as much money for it as possible to buy something sensible to go to college in. Um, so college was two years of just really dull cars. Um, one of them being a maestro that, it was infuriating because the fuel pump kept breaking. So that got swapped for a Golf um, and that kept overheating. And then I finally bit the bullet and thought, right, I'm going to save up and buy a proper car. Failed and brought a Mark IV Escort XR3i. <laughs> um, but I had fuel injection and five gears. So um, that was it. I was mad. And how did you get insurance for that? Um, I'm quite old. So it was quite it was before... Um, when was it? It was early 90s, so it wasn't too bad. Oh, okay, right. Yeah. So before astronomical insurance, but of course you just sort of think that's normal. I'm trying to think of that. Yeah. I mean, today it sounds cheap, but I think it was about 600 quid a year to insure, which was astronomical at the time because the car was only 1,500 mm. quid. Um, but it was Rosso Red, and it was an XR3i, and I was from Essex, and I lived in Essex, and I had an XR3i. And um, the circle has been complete. Then. Yeah, and it, had, it was. <laughs> I actually kept it standard for a while, but though I had that when I joined Performance Ford, so that all went sort of rapidly downhill when people started offering you sort of 
exhaust and air filter kit. <laughs> you could speak to the right people. Yeah, oh, one of these. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm young, stupid. I'll stick it on. Um, we'll get what could possibly to, go wrong. We'll get someone to do it who knows what they're doing. Um, so yeah, I had that. Which was great. It was it, it it handled awfully, and it had an awful sounding engine with no power and no torque, and the gearbox was rubbery as anything. Um, but but apart from all that, apart from all that, <laughs> I was I had a car with electric windows, fuel injection. Um, what else could you want at twenty two? I think I was at the time twenty two, twenty three. I was that was it. More freedom. You can go further because it was a little bit more reliable than the mini. Um, so you start going, you just start going further afield and sort of think, oh, this is great. Um, and then I'd, I'd made the fatal area of buying one of the worst cars I think that's ever been made, which was a Mark III Fiesta, um, mm. which was hideous, an RS 1800i, which was um, absolutely foul car. And then that's when I was at Max Power, and um, we really went to town modifying it and just made it worse. Um, <laughs> So I managed, to, I managed to get out of that by swapping it in one night in a nightclub in London with a mate. I think I managed to get him drunk and convince him it would be a good idea if we swapped. So he took my Fiesta and I took his E3325i. Um, and be- That's a good convincing. Well done. Yeah. Before we had, you had time to sober up, I make sure I got the uh, logbook off him. And, um, <laughs> yeah, I managed to get out of that one quite easily. Um, so I'm pretty rubbish at selling cars so it's always a lot easier just to swap it with someone I think I managed to swap the maestro with someone at work um, at my uh, Saturday job when I was at college because um, I hate selling cars so um, and I can't afford to keep them and why would you want to keep a maestro so um, swapped it and yeah this Fiesta was just absolutely awful um, but yeah, swapped it for an E30 BMW, which was uh, a lot better. And uh, I was at Evo at the time by then, so we're a lot more Evo as well. And um, mm. farm was more suitable. Um, you were allowed in the car park. I was, I was allowed to park that in the car park and not in the school next door. Um, <laughs> which we got to go to my brother, who then re- managed to reverse it through a fridge freezer and then through the back of his garage, which I've never um, let him forget. Um, Crikey. Yeah, that's quite. Um, he claims he, he's. That's impressive. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, as the fridge freezer was full as well. And uh, <laughs> um, another car I didn't sell, I just gave, managed to give to him, which he crashed, which was annoying. Because it was actually one of those cars you think, well, why have I given it away? Yeah, I was quite good, I should have kept hold of that. Um, but then after that, it was a succession of very boring company cars to do jobs at. Um, I was back then at the. My, obviously a year of the F1 stuff and um, then back on the Porsche Mag which meant racking up silly amounts of miles driving around Europe um, doing shoots and seeing people just in very boring diesel cars um, although during that period I did have I did buy a 306 Rally um, which was absolutely fantastic and to this day um Still don't know why I let it sit on my parents' drive for nine months while I drove around in a Focus 1.6. But I I keep telling telling myself it was because I was commuting and a 306 Rally wasn't the best commuter. Uh, Was it a Mark 1 Focus as well? Yes. It handled all right, but it was that horrible kind of um, mint snot green as well. So, uh, yeah, I don't know what I was thinking. And then I really don't know what I was thinking when I sold it so I could buy my now wife an MGF. Oh, so um, yeah. Okay, we've I've got one near me where I think they've put on 
uh, and I use inverted commas here, sport exhaust. And it just sounds like it's broken. Yeah, it probably is. Not quite as broken as the M4 up my road when <laughs> he starts that from cold. That sounds very broken. But, um, and I have heard others, so I think there is something wrong with his, but no. I'm not going to bother telling him. Yeah, no, <laughs> the idea of driving around Essex in a white hot hatch, but wanting a convertible. And uh, yeah, still to, still to this day, can't believe I did that. Um, I'd got my revenge by swapping her MGF for a Fiesta later on. So, um, and she's never forgiven me for that either. So, um, we're kind of quits on the far <laughs> side of things. Um, and married though. Yes, yeah, <laughs> so. yeah. She still doesn't forgive me, and now just still wants a proper car. Although she has managed to offload the Fiesta and just has a, a succession of golfs, um, which she has announced she's now bored of and wants something else. And uh, her remit being anything from, oh, I quite like an A-Class or an RS6, so I'm not quite sure how she's managed to get that um, sort of width of car, uh, selection of cars in her head, but um, suffice okay. to say, it would be closer to an A-Class than it will to an RS6. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you might be driving the RS6. <laughs> that to the petrol station and back again, <laughs> repeatedly. But, uh, but making a lovely noise whilst doing it. That's what bar many curbs, I imagine. The less said about that, the better. Um, and then, um, then fortunate enough, as we are in this role, to have opportunity and uh, the privilege of having access to test cars and, and long-term test cars, which is um, what I'm in now and uh, have been for a while, which is um, which is great. You get to try cars you would probably never never consider or you've... you've to either never consider because they don't come on your radar or you would never consider owning because you think I'm never going to be able to afford to own one of those. And, uh, mm. and that is the, the, the biggest privilege of this, this job is, um, is having access to that sort of stuff. Um, yeah. And, and that's what, and uh, yeah, so, uh, at the moment I don't own it. Well, I do own something. It's a beaten up golf that is, uh, used by the missus and, uh, um, yeah, we don't have any, I don't have anything which I should have. And, uh, Every time I think about it, I think, well, actually, when would I get a chance to use it? But then uh, I should really make the chance to use it and uh, and think of buying something. <laughs> well, there's more fun in just uh, pretend buying, anyway. Well, there is that. Yeah, I mean, it's great fun each month telling readers what how to spend their money. And uh, <laughs> but I really, should, I really should start spending some of my own and. and and buy somewhere. So, um, well, if you're going to get this RS6, I think all your money will be spent. That's 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 my dream. She's not having one of them. <laughs> okay, right. Well, that's uh, that's actually uh, a pretty decent, pretty decent history there. Well, um, yeah, decent as in decent. Apart from the apart from the maestro, uh, that, that's a bit of a stinker, uh, and that Fiesta didn't sound nice. It's an awful, awful car history, and um, I will need to embellish it as my career goes on and add some things in there. Just drop in the odd uh, long-term loan and just yeah. well, yeah, I had that. I had that. Yeah, yeah. Just, just mumble over the bit. The I8, I, I had that for, yeah, that oh, was mine. Yeah. Yeah. How, yeah, how long is ownership, how long can I claim it to be mine? They've given you the keys, that's long enough. Exactly. <laughs> right, so you're, you're back at uh, you're back at Evo as managing editor. Yes. It is managing editor, wasn't it, yeah. What's the difference between a managing editor and an editor? Um, Excuse my ignorance, but I don't know. Uh, managing editor uh, is real day-to-day, um, putting the whole thing together, knowing what everyone's doing, when stuff is due, when launches are, 
uh, shouting at people who haven't written a copy yet. Shout, sort of shouting thing. at yeah, chasing copy, chasing photographers, um, chasing video editors. Um, yeah, lots of chasing and budget stuff and, and cost sheets and dealing with uh, doing a bit of HR element to it. Um, it's someone who's who's my managing editor now. Ian Ebley is is far better managing editor than I ever was. Um, and it's more of a, it's a lot of production side of things of, of putting the magazine together and, and the website and that continuity and it, and it's being the conduit and the, and the person in the office who just knows kind of what everyone's doing and what they should be doing crucially. So, um, whereas the editor just gets to flounce around all day. Um, so it sounds like you're project managing. Yeah. Really. If, if you looked at each episode, episode, sorry, each edition is a project. Yeah. It's, they're managing that edition. Exactly that. So yeah, each, each mag is a separate project and with different people having different responsibilities and, and you're the one who knows what they, those people are doing. Cause they're not always perhaps going to be doing the same job for each issue. So, um, yeah, the managing, managing editor is kind of the, the, it sort of bonds it all together. Um, he's a person that I phone and say, well, what's going on with this? And uh, what do I need to do next? And uh, <laughs> they sort of know, um, yeah, without them, I think quite a few publications, newspapers and, and magazines and stuff would be would be lost without um, good managing editors. I've no idea how I managed to do it for for the two years I did. Um, I managed to wing it. and um, But yeah, it's they, they are that uh, that sort of um, daily point of contact for everyone. Um, mm. They know where we, they know where we all are and what we're doing, and, and um, they're the respons- It sounds like they're the responsible adults they are of the office. Adult, really? Yeah. Um. <laughs> Wanted responsible adult, please. <laughs> okay, so you did that for two years, and then um, how did the editor role come up? Uh, well, everyone left Evo, so um, I was the last man. Oh, that, that's yeah. Again, right, I'm, I'm sensing a theme through here. No, it's... Um, they, they lasted two years, though. Yeah, true. No, they... Um, <laughs> Nick went off to... He's a massive motorsport fan from uh, watching to taking part and huge um, history and uh, knowledge of the of motorsport in general and he had the opportunity to go and uh, edit Motorsport magazine, which he took, which left a vacancy at Evo. And yeah, and they, they asked me to fit his boots at, at Evo and, and step into the manager, uh, editor's chair, which was um, a great privilege to, to be asked. And it's a great opportunity. And um, yeah, that's where, that's where I am now. And obviously there was a few other people left at the end of last year, left Evo to go and do various new projects and things. So I've also had to, to build a new team, which has been really exciting across the, the magazine and the website. So we've, we've, we've recruited strongly this year and I've got Adam Tower as my deputy and James Disdale has just started as Rochester editor and uh, John Barker has returned as a contributing editor and Steve Sutcliffe is, is uh, also a contributing editor now to Evo and, and other Dennis brands and obviously Dickie Meehan is still doing stuff for us as well. Um, so we've got really strong team and really sort of great ideas of, of where we're going to take take Evo on its next journey. Really, um, it's it's one of those things that everyone we're fortunate we've got such a, a passionate following and readership of of the magazine and followers on the website and YouTube subscribers and, and social media um, fans and followers. Um, we could just carry on doing what we're doing, but. We know there's there's other opportunities we need to look at and and 
and take and maintain that identity of Evo, but evolve the magazine and, and the brand to to keep up with what's going on in the industry, um, reach new audiences, younger audiences, more digi- digital focused audiences, and, and introduce them to a magazine. You know, there's a there's a lot of our digital audience that aren't aware that we also publish a magazine as well. So um, mm. it's that's that's one of the big challenges and it's a it's a fascinating one as well because we can because the way the digital world works you can see when someone clicks and says ah oh, you produce a magazine as well where can i get a copy can i already you know, can i have a subscription and stuff so it's it's it, it's great you, you have that transfer of um of audiences and it's 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 really good um it's really good fun and, and with the team we've got producing you know they're being all very different and having different skill sets and different styles and personalities and stuff, it gives us that breadth to to reach out to to a wider audience across whichever platform they want to engage with us with. So, with the with some of the digital channels, do you is it viewed as a brand awareness exercise? Um, no, I mean the the or or, or do you go um, for example for example the YouTube. You're, you're targeting the YouTube. What you do on YouTube is a very specific thing. You go, right, this is our plan for YouTube. And this is our plan for the website. And this is our plan with Twitter and Facebook. And, or you know, I'll just say social media, just to lump it all in one there. It, you've got very distinct plans for each of those yes. areas. Yes, you? There's, there's a strategy for each of them. And there's a crossover um, for, for everything. Because um, ultimately it all does come back to just to one Evo, if you like. Um, but the strategy has to be suitable for each platform. So there's no point mm-hmm. trying to, um, I think publishers five, six, seven, eight years ago, um, when the internet sort of really took off and started taking audiences away from traditional print audiences. I think one of the problems publishers, one of the mistakes publishers made was um, trying to create a print magazine for a digital audience. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, as a consumer, I felt that, you know, and it's not uh, a motoring specific. This is just publishers, full stop. Yeah, made this mistake that well, we'll just do what we do in print and stick it on a screen. Yeah. that solves it, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. No, that's that's not what we want, please. <laughs> and and it and it went both ways as well. Of, of obviously, when Google got involved and told publishers, actually, you know, you need, you need to produce this style content online to work, um, and of course, that did work. They then thought, well, that would also work in print. And you had print titles that were um, kind of nothing more than glossy websites but bound up on paper and published once a month. And it it, it, it didn't work. And it's we're fortunate at Dennis that they they didn't go too far. They didn't get too far down that route. And we still have very clear ideas of what a print publication should be and what a digital publication should be. So... You know, we have to have a strategy that suits both platforms, but also still keeps all the brand values and the identity of, of what we want Evo to do. Obviously, the website, we have a slightly wider remit of content we will put on there um, than we will in the magazine, because the magazine is limited by pagination and page count. But, you know, the web, you can, it's infinite amount of space, um, but we won't put everything yeah, not everything is suitable for Evo's website. You, if mm. you look at it, you'll see stuff on there that you think, "Why are they doing this? Why are they? Why do we have a, a Evo's top five or top ten performance SUVs?" It's because we know our readership buy these cars; they're interested in them, and they want an Evo verdict on it. Um, yeah. 
but we don't need we wouldn't put that sort of content in the magazine because it's you've, you you've only got a certain amount of space and you don't you, you don't want to sort of sacrifice that lovely indulgent print content that people buy a magazine for 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 stuff that we can produce perhaps online for a more relevant audience so we have to have a strategy that well, works absolutely i mean i i find now uh, i buy a magazine because i want to take time reading something yeah and that's, whereas whereas online more often than not it's oh let's you know let's look through these three maybe 400 words maximum yeah. or this list and oh okay i've got uh, yeah i can see that right next thing yeah. um and uh, and i uh, maybe it's my age <laughs> my my more senior age now but i'm i'm enjoying the longer form yeah uh, that people are writing and you get to you get to and you get to follow a writer i think you know you, you, you enjoy what they're doing you go okay I, I want to hear what they're saying this this month uh, you know yeah. and, and i think that's something that perhaps could be uh emphasized more to people who don't get it uh, yeah. who are just thinking well you know what why why get the magazine no no you you're missing the point you it's it's there for for a, it's a longer form thing it's like a um it's like a, a, a the, well, our podcast is our podcast is effectively long form content yeah but you get it through your ears yeah you know this this is not a you know as i was saying before we are not doing the there was a rumor once that said this so here's the latest news we we can't do that with what we do you know we are, we, we we take time to make something and get it out as quickly as we can particularly on the news show but it's news from the last week or so, yeah. you know, so it's not, nobody's, nobody comes to us now to go, you've got the very latest thing. They come to us to hear what are the bits we've picked out and what are our opinions on it. And that's what I enjoy about a magazine is I'm getting someone's opinion as well. Yeah, yeah that, that's, that's um, particularly on a monthly, um, that's the key is that you have this, you have either time on your side so you can be more analytical and, and add some opinion to it. Um, or you're not chasing a news agenda at all, so you can do what you want and produce a piece of content that people aren't expected and it's long form and they can really get their teeth into. And as you say, they they we, they do follow people do follow writers, um, and they will they will hold out to to read a certain writer's view of a car or um, a piece of news or uh, if they've driven something or whether it's just an announcement, they will will hold on. And, and wait for that opinion. So there's no, at the moment, you know, it, it's separating digital and print from each other. So they both play to their strengths. You know, people mm. don't buy a monthly magazine to get the latest news, but they do buy no. the, a monthly magazine to get in-depth, long-form opinion and analysis and, and in-depth reviews. They do go online to get the latest reviews, a snapshot of what's going on, um, and that opportunity to catch up, you know, on a daily basis, yeah. an hourly basis. Whereas, and that's where the strategies have to come in of, of where do all these fit? And then you have a social media um, strategy that has to drive people to the website to um, uh, to to read the latest content and direct them to the newest reviews and the newest uh, the latest news stories. And then you you use social media to tell people what we're doing in the magazine and, and raise the awareness there and spike their enthusiasm to think actually I'm going to look out for that and 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 buy that and YouTube is again YouTube's a, a, f a funny one because it's it's kind of its own entity of I think a lot of people think well YouTube is just 
car videos of cars doing vid, uh, doing skids and and all that sort of stuff. But mm. it's a lot. There's there's a lot more to it, and there's a, a, a bigger appetite for similar to the magazines to produce content on YouTube that you can't get that isn't already on YouTube. There's there's a risk. Um, I think for motoring media brands, particularly to all produce the same video content because that's what people want. But of course, once you've seen one GT3 skid around Anglesey, you've seen them all. Um, mm. And you know, particularly with video, it's um, there's people pick up on styles and it gets copied and stuff. So it's our our job to come up with with ideas for video content that will get people want to watch, but also will. Um, uh, be unique on if someone's searching around YouTube and doesn't know your channel. Well, we we on this uh, on our new show we have put your last two years cars of the year or the the, uh, the big long yeah annual which is just beautifully shot. It's just just wonderful to watch actually, and I, I dread to think of the cost uh, <laughs> and and the amount of time yeah that this to to put. Uh, put that together and getting those people together to say right here's here's this bunch of wonderful cars in their own entity they're wonderful and now we're all going to try them at once yeah and we're all gonna we're gonna drive around these fantastic it was scotland wasn't it this year was it scotland last year as well um the year before where was it this year it was was it not the it, it was scotland Scotland in 2015, and it was it was 20. It was definitely Scotland last time. Yeah, I'm sure. it, was, it was Scotland both years actually. Yes, 2015 North Coast 500. 2015. You had the the chap from Mission Motorsport, um, Jim Tank Slider. Yeah. Jim. Yeah, he was there in the. Yeah, just to remember seeing him on the video. Uh, but yeah, I mean, gorgeous roads, and you just go. That's that was. I mean, we we put it in because we said this is very special. Not only you've seen all these wonderful cars, when you're getting good opinion and you're hearing how they hone down to the one that has been selected. But just look at the shots are wonderful. Yeah. And the, I mean, I felt sorry for the camera. I mean, you, you, brilliant uh, videography or cinemography or whatever it's technically called. Um, and, it, and they are a joy to watch. And please don't stop doing those. Well, <laughs> if, if, you can, if you can afford not to, don't stop doing them. Well, because, yeah, that's, that's a, a perfect case in point. Of, we know that the, the audience loves them and don't want us to to stop doing it but we're, we're also we're right well we can't just do the same thing we've got how do we cater for those that love those long form films and produce content that will bring you know bring other people into car of the year that perhaps are put off by that and that, and that's the that's the great challenge is because we, we we have to sit there and think right we let's do another 30 minute film or oh, hang on a minute that only appeals to to an audience over there and we're ignoring these other subscribers of the channel who don't watch it so what do we need to produce for them? So do we need to produce something different? And how do we do that? And how do we make sure everyone is, is happy? Um, mm. and, and that's on and YouTube is the one where you, you do have very different audiences on the, on the same, on the same platform. The magazine audience is pretty much the same. The website audience is, is pretty much the same. You know who they are and, and what they like and what they don't like. YouTube, you have, you have very mixed, um, uh, tastes of what people do and don't like some people just like short videos you know lots of action um and all done dusted within two or three minutes other people love the 30 minute extravaganzas and and as do we you know we love putting all of it together well that must have been such a blast to do anyway i mean all the people you got together for that yeah the cards. that that looked like it was a hoot you know as much as you you're you know you're working and you you're 
you're trying to produce something excellent. It did look like a hoop with all with all the different drivers you had there as well. Oh, it's, it's car, yeah, car the year is the big the big one that everyone looks forward to, and we're in the process of planning it now. And yeah, it's the one that everyone wants to come on, and you you spend a week with a group of great people who all think the same as you and and like minded and are there as as much to enjoy the cars, but also to produce a great amount of content across everything we do. It's not it's not just a big jolly and yeah, they, they everyone <laughs> he emphasises heavily for everyone listening. Yeah. <laughs> that means we're either doing a good job or a bad job of disguising it. Um, <laughs> um, but it's I think the, re- the the reason it comes across as being a great event because it is if you think about it, you know, getting all those cars together in those locations and well, it's what you were saying earlier about uh, being a, you know bi- producing content on cars, greatest job in the world. Yeah, this this is you know one of the pinnacle times where you know it's not just one car you're testing it's like here's a smorgasbord yeah <laughs> off you go and here's all these wonderful roads we've really worked out will show the best and worst of the car so we can hone it down off you go everybody let's have let's go you know do this okay we're doing work but you know that that has to be the well it doesn't really get much better than this type I mean, moment yeah absolutely and it is it is a great a great thing to do but it's one of it's also that thing it's a, sort of our signature piece of content for the year so we always we're, we always have to make sure that we don't get blasé and complacent about it and just do the same every year because I think that's that's when people do will perhaps start to think oh hang on is that just a jolly they just seem to do the same thing and get all get together and blast around on the same roads and so it's up to us to to not reinvent it regularly but just always look at it and tweak it and think is this the best we can do is this the is this the best we can produce for for everyone to enjoy so um mm. that that's you know that is something that's on our mind from the minute the minute that one e coty finishes we're thinking right how do we better that next year what do we do different what didn't work um this year what will work next year what what would we like to do that we haven't done so how do we make that that happens so um self-inflicted pressure there yeah <laughs> if you haven't done such good jobs <laughs> it's, a, it's the same philosophy we have for everything we produce though we, we whether it's a whether it's a news story or, or car of the year if it's um we always ask ourselves is that the best we could do and how could we've done it better and how are we going to do it better next time we do it so yeah car, car of the year is the, the the thing that occupies quite a lot of my time of of thinking about it of, of what we're going to do how we're going to make it better and that, that's, that's what it's always about, is how do we improve it? It's not how do we change it for the sake of it. Um, it's how do we make it better, which is the same for everything. In the magazine, how do we make it better? Um, I'm conscious of when new editors tend to come in, everything gets ripped up and they start again, purely because the editor just wants to change stuff for the sake of it because they want to leave mm, on it. Yeah. That just disrupts the reader. And particularly something like Car of the Year, we, do, you know, we know there's, there's people that absolutely buy into it and and their year kind of hangs off it that's the test if they only buy one mag each year that's the one they're buy so we need to make sure we 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 uh we please them and also make sure that everyone else gets something out of it well it's it's very refreshing and comforting really as as someone who does buy the magazine uh, that you are constantly looking right what went well what didn't go well how can we improve that that seems to be the the this constant review oh, absolutely. because uh, I've in my other life 
in the, the, the real world <laughs> rather than this world, the real world, I've been in so many businesses where people never reviewed. And then wondered why things stayed the same or didn't get better. It's really come clear talking to you that that is a core value uh, and, a, and a, a core effort on on from Evo is that no, okay, what went well, what didn't go well, what can we improve? How would we like to change it? Oh. Uh, and that's that's great to hear because there's there's no definitely there's no complacency and there's no um, treading water. No. When that's reassuring because as someone who who reads your stuff I, d- I don't want to I don't want to think that it, I'm just going to get the same old <laughs> no and, and as soon as you start doing that you absolutely readers will just walk away and, and quite rightly because if you just if you get complacent and it comes back to being blase and a bit arrogant um, the reader notices and, and they start buying your magazine and then you're, then you're nowhere so it goes back to when the, that issue comes in from the from the printers, you open the box with a sort of your heart in your mouth. God, is it as good as we think it is? And we give each other a pat on the back and say, good effort, lads. Right, what we've done better? What don't we like? Mm. What should we improve on? What what didn't work? What did work as well? You know, what did work? Yeah, and we, yeah. And can we apply that to anything else or can we evolve it? Should we evolve it? Should we carry on doing it? Um, but yeah. It may have worked, but did we enjoy it? You know? yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it, was it... If it works, and how do we make sure that we? If it, if, it, if it works and it was a pain in the backside, how do we? How do we do it again so it still works, but it isn't a pain in the backside? Here, how do we improve yeah. it? And I think a lot of that comes from the industry we're in, because the good car manufacturers, the successful car manufacturers, are you know continually improving um, mm. the products. You know, they're the ones that survive, and I think that's rubbed off on. On, on us of producing the product, whether it's whether it's the mag or the web or, or, or our YouTube content, is the same as the car manufacturers. Right, this is our new car that we've just launched, and in, in our, for us, that's a new issue or a new film or a new piece of web content. Was that the best we can do? Because we're now working on the next generation of of uh, video, next generation of mag, and next generation of web content, which is just the next story or the next issue or the next film. But it's. Mm-hmm. It's that sort of evolution and facelifting, continuously tweaking, um, that makes it as strong as possible. You rest on your laurels and you don't get anywhere. You just get overtaken. There's something I meant to ask you a bit earlier. Yeah. Um, what did it feel like the first time somebody came up to you and said, oh, I read your thing on such and such a car and I've bought one now? Um, yeah, interesting. You do, think, you do stop and think, hang on a minute, what did I say? <laughs> and then you're like, ah, right, okay, yeah, and it's one of those things. Was it was it a case of oh crikey, you read it? There's 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 a mixture of things. There's an element of that. Oh god, someone does actually read that stuff. I write. I thought it was just my mum. Um, and then it's the <laughs> um, oh my god, you you actually put some money into something. On you took my advice. Cry. You fool! You fool! And then you're like, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> what? Then you sort of start thinking. Well, what did I say? Ah, oh, yeah, that's. It's that reassurance that people do trust your opinion, and it's it does make you um, every time you write something, you are always thinking someone could make a purchasing decision off the back of this. Um, mm. So being flippant and cynical and stuff for the sake of it, just to try and think, oh, I'm going to be funny by saying something. So that will sway someone's purchasing decision, perhaps whether it's a car they've aspired to and and love and you've just sort of shot them down in flames and said you'd be a fool to buy this just because you wanted to get a cheap laugh or 
get some recognition or, or get a retweet or something like that is um, is poor form because you know, it's it, we forget that people do you know they they want our advice and they listen to it and they value it mm. and we should never yeah. forget that which is again something else that you remind yourself um, each time you're writing something each time we're producing something is people are making people are making purchasing decisions off the back of it but also the industry is looking at you as well to to judge to see whether you actually understand what's going on you know uh, well th- that was it for me i mean why i why i asked the question uh, is because I, I can't remember which episode it was of our uh, news show but we did a special edition on something uh, on a particular topic yeah uh, and someone from a manufacturer happened to tweet and say this is a great episode wish somebody had done something like this ages ago and I, I, I was I was just walking along and I was looking at Twitter and I saw it and just stopped. I just stopped. I was like, holy smokes, someone... Well, A, they listen. And, you know, that's that's brilliant. But it's from a manufacturer as well. Oh, okay. You know, and we weren't known at all, really, by... You know, we, we, we'd been shouting about it on Twitter, but we weren't really known. And we sort of going, oh, okay. At, well, they really have listened to it because they said some pertinent things in it. And you, you sort of go, well, you know, and it's that thing, what you were saying is that on the one hand, brilliant, someone's paying attention and they're, they're, they're consuming it. On the other hand, right, don't forget that, though. Yeah. Don't don't be a smart ass. Don't, don't try and be cheeky or anything. Still stick with, you know, telling the truth. Your opinion is, is valid. But make sure it's clearly your opinion, yeah. and, and it's all that sort of stuff. And it was, it was a, uh, it was good to get that reminder quite early on. Yeah, absolutely. For, for me personally, because I'm sat in my kitchen right now talking into a microphone, and you happen to be coming through my headphones, and that's how the the podcast goes with Alan. Essentially, you know, I don't know who's listening. I mean, I can see figures, but I, I don't. I'm not watching somebody listen to my conversation. Yeah. Uh, and it's easy to forget that. And it, it must be a similar situation with when you're writing. You know, you're writing one-on-one with the computer, producing something in your office with your team, and then it goes out, and it's like, right, okay, the next one, whilst you wait for the figures to come in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and you can write something, and uh, that's the key is when you're writing something, you think, oh, that's, that's quite funny, that's quite... Um, I'm going to enjoy that. And then actually you, you look back at it and think, well, actually, have I just said that for... <laughs> cheap laugh for myself or to you know get a kick out of, out of it but actually it's the the effect you know the reader is going to read it and think either what a fool doesn't know what he's talking about the industry will read it and say doesn't know what he's talking about he's just said that for the sake of it so it does make mm. you think and as you should you know it's we have people who are um who are handing over money each month to to read what we write and uh, yeah they're, they're they're giving their time to yeah, absolutely to watch listen read to the stuff that's going out and it's, sometimes we just need that reminder to go well hang on we need to take this we need to approach it seriously and do it do a proper job do the best job we can i think yeah. is what you were saying earlier is this the best i could do yes it is or no it isn't yeah. okay there's always improvements but at that time was this the best i could do if someone comes up to us after and said you wrote that i why do you, why does he say that? You've got to be able to stand by it. You can't just say, "Oh, I thought it was funny at the time." Um, or you know, it's you've got to be able to back everything up. Um, mm. So, it, oh, you're going to be saying we need to be grown up about it and everything. Next. Well, <laughs> somewhere along the line, or, or an adult anyway. Yeah, <laughs> maybe not grown up. But 
Right, I think this is a great opportunity because I'm I'm very conscious I'm taking up your evening and I don't want to take all your evening up. Um, but to go on to the quickfire questions. Yes. Uh, I'm not going to bother pretending that I'm not going to come back when you answer because that's patently been false ever since I started this the rear view. So uh, even though that was the intention. But I'll start with the first one, which is what currently excites you about the motoring world? I've actually written some stuff down for these because I thought if I didn't, I would just mumble my way through. Um <laughs> What's what's really interesting at the moment is suddenly manufacturers have caught on to that actually lightness is quite is is good. Um, they're all they're, you know they they they're putting more and more tech into the cars. They can't get any heavier. They're they're being pushed on emissions and efficiency and stuff. And mm. one effect is that cars are just basically getting lighter. And cars that were once a bit flat footed and a bit dull are becoming interesting again. And it's not just in the performance sector. It's having a knock-on effect for everyone. They're getting, I think they're getting better cars out of it. It is ultimately so they can load them back up again with perhaps tech that people don't need um, or don't want. But I think car manufacturers, have, uh, they, they're focusing on their efficiencies of actually how they produce these cars. And it's, um, you know, the, the new A8 that's it's not a core Evo car by any stretch of imagination, but... Um, when you look at having gone to see, see it in the bare metal of, it, of its shell, of what they've gone into, how, how they've taken weight out of the shell and out of the car and the body in white, and yes, some of it's going to go straight back in again with, with hybrid powertrains and batteries, but all of that technology and all of those ideas they've, they've come across and, and put into practice will filter down through every car they do, and it's the same with, with every manufacturer, whether it's Audi, Porsche, BMW, Ford, Vauxhall, Peugeot, they all realise actually lightness is a good thing, um, having sort of kind of ignored it and just chased, sort of got around it by producing more powerful engines and, and particularly with the sort of the recent um, phase of di- turbo diesel engines with their huge amount of torque, it can mass mm. mass in a car and a lot of weight and uh, I think they've realised that actually that's not a good thing because of course with, with more weight becomes heaviest, more heavier suspension and heavier brakes, bigger brakes, bigger wheels and tyres, and the whole thing just adds up and up and up, and then it starts killing their their CO2 emissions and, and everything they need to chase for legislation. So all the things that, you know, environmental impacts and, and CO2 and fuel economy that don't normally register on an Evo reader's radar, I think we're actually going to benefit from in the long term. I think um, we will start getting back lighter cars, so when they start doing the performance models, We'll start getting um, sort of. We've got some fantastic performance cars available at the moment, but there seems to be a massive gulf between a GT2 RS and what you and I will actually end up having to buy to, to commute to work in. And, and <laughs> yes, and that I think that gulf will. You're not going to get GT2 RS performance in a. a um, a run-of-the-mill Golf or Focus or Astra, but what you are going to get is benefits of tech trickle-down of lightweight cars. And as we know from growing from growing up, you didn't need a huge amount of um, power in a car if it was nice and light that uh, you could yeah. have fun. So, yeah, the, the the efficiency gains in in, in weight is is really exciting at the moment. It's not the most. It's not the sort of. It's not chasing horsepower numbers and and stuff like that but I think it's underlying that's something that's really interesting because they're all they're all focusing on it and, and you can see the engineers and I think it's almost a relief that 
they're able to, to go down and explore these routes now. So, yeah, that, that's exciting at the moment. Um, and also engines as well. The, the, um, I think we sort of had a downer on turbocharged engines um, because they take, you know, don't have throttle response, they don't have much character, and it's, it's all about a, um, sort of got, it's got back into chasing a bit of a power figure. But I think in the smaller capacity engine, so if we can have lighter sport, lighter cars, with smaller capacity engines and it give more people the opportunity to have a, a car that's fun to drive and they don't have to be buying the big powerful stuff um i think that's good for- well no i agree with that because i recently was uh lucky enough to be loaned something with a three-cylinder yeah uh one liter three-cylinder and okay it, it wasn't a sports car it wasn't pretending to be a sports car but there was just this nice little exhaust note yeah. and it encouraged me to go well, you know, we can push along a little bit here. Don't worry about that. That's good. Yeah. And the rest of it was set up reasonably well that you thought, well, okay, you know, for a for a family car, this is actually not that bad to chuck around a few corners that I know well and my roads I know locally. Uh, and, and as I say, that little, just little exhaust note from that thing, just because I, I drove a 1.4 of the same make. Yeah. And that wasn't nearly as much fun. No, it's, it's. And I think fun is something that had, has been forgotten perhaps in cars. Yeah, it's been chasing, chasing power figures, chasing lap times, chasing um, acceleration figures and things. I think we've we've lost the focus of um, of them being fun. Um, and I think you, you get that with small cars, and uh, you don't need big power. It's the cars, you know, going back through my car back catalogue. First lot of cars weren't fast and powerful, but they were fun. Um, and I think that's how if it makes you if it makes you feel involved. Yeah, and it gets you. I think if it gets people back into cars as well, if it get if it gives younger people an entry point into buying a car, um, mm. that that's got to be a good thing because people's entry point into performance car ownership is not going to be a forty thousand pound hot hatch. Um, no. And that's where we've been heading, and I think we're. we're we're going to be coming out of that, and and if the right cars come along, we're championing them in Evo. If they're, you know, we, we always have from the beginning, and we will yeah. do now as well. If, if those right cars are there, we will we will get behind them. Okay, so what worries you then about the motoring world? Uh, young people not driving, not having an interest in driving. It's a big concern across the industry. Um, car manufacturers. Is it as bad as they're making out? Yes, it is. Do you think? Yeah. Because I, I live a little bit out in the sticks, so I don't I, I don't see it, and I'm not uh, I I don't God, it's gonna say, there's no good way to say this, but I there's no there's nothing I do in my life that involves seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty year olds. Yeah. So I don't I don't get to chat to them or anything, so I don't know what their thoughts are on cars. Yeah, the, the numbers are down on young seventeen um, year olds taking their test and being wanting to to drive a car a lot of it is because they don't need to it goes back to when I say when I first got my car that freedom and be able to see things and see people and go places now because you have you have a device in your pocket that puts you in touch with anyone anywhere in the world you don't need to get in a car to go and see them you know you don't need to go and catch up with anyone you don't need to have a you know one of you go and pick everyone up drive to the pub um, and sit and talk rubbish all night because you've been able to do it all day long on WhatsApp or Twitter or what have you. So 
they don't need they don't need cars. And they're also you know, looking at wider things. They're, if they're going to university, they're coming out with debt. They can't afford a house. The last thing they're going to do is spend money on a car. Um, it's why we're seeing such a um, acceleration in PCP and leasing and manufacturers trying to work out how do we get young people to buy cars? What do young people do? They rent and lease everything. So let's let's get them leasing cars. But even that's not not working at the at the very bottom end. So um, that's mm. a concern. Just getting people engaged with with transport and cars um, and the freedom it gives them, the mobility. Um, you know, there's, there's you don't want people stuck at home because they feel they don't need to go anywhere because they can contact everyone on their phone. You want them to get out there and, and enjoy life, go and see things. Yeah. Which is what we all did. You know, you get in a car and you go on an adventure. No, that's a good point. No, that's that's not been raised before. No, that's a good point. I like that is probably not quite the right phrasing, but uh, uh, I I think that hits some certain buttons. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, they don't like cars, and then also being selfish, they're not going to then buy a car magazine or read a car. No, they're not. <laughs> um, so um, yeah, being, being totally selfish. That's uh, that's one of the reasons. But I think you know that's same for car manufacturers. If they're not, if youngsters aren't in, aren't interested in cars, they're not going to buy. By your brand, yeah, it's, it's a challenge across the industry. It's, it's it's an opportunity as well. As much as a challenge, it's an opportunity to work out what you do need to do and what does interest them. So, um, okay, then. So, what's been your favourite car to drive, and why was that? Um, that's a tricky one. Well, I mean, the problem is you've been spoiled. I know that's the problem. Um, I've actually gone for the Creo GT for a couple of reasons. One. Because at the time of driving it, I didn't realise it was basically the last of its breed. So sometimes you, you drive these cars knowing you're you're, you're not going to drive its like again. You sort of approach it in a certain way and think, right, I must make the most of this. And oh, and and in a black yeah. suit, black tie, that sort of thing. <laughs> when I drove when I, when I drove Carrera GT um, first couple of times, it was a production car, and I couldn't see why manufacturers wouldn't carry on building naturally aspirated um, manual supercars um, and of course they didn't that was the last one uh, pretty much and so by approaching it like that I'm just thinking well this is just any other car I think I've got more out of it and, and there's a couple of times I've been fortunate enough to drive them I've always thought that and just think it's it's an end of an era car but it's also just just a brilliant thing. It's everything you expect a car of that ilk to be. It's was it just more so than anything else? Yeah, I think because the whole experience. Because there wasn't, there isn't one thing that dominates. So you're not approaching it as you perhaps do today, the hypercars, and think right. The, the performance of a P1 is what it's all about, uh, and and the LaFerrari and the 918, which are, two, are three very different different things. I think yeah, with the Carrera GT, it was just a whole package that worked and came together and delivered everything you expected of it um mm. you didn't have to be a hero to enjoy it as well you could it was one of those cars once you got it rolling um and didn't fry the clutch it was pretty much you know, <laughs> your nan could drive it um did, but did it still feel special you're saying your nan could drive it but did, did yeah, it absolutely did it feel like an event when you drove it Maybe not a scary event that say. Oh, it was other supercar hypercars are, but <laughs> it was it was an event because you were you were doing everything. You know, you had to. It had a. It had all those old school supercar um, kind of characteristics of being tricky to get off the line and having a very very sharp throttle response, um, and then it had also fantastic steering, brakes, 
gear shift the gearbox was lovely that engine was absolutely you've got to, you've got to change gear yourself cool. you could never you know, <laughs> get your head around just that that V10 screaming and yeah it was just one of those experiences you think blimey this is this is sort of uh, high, you know, supercar perfection of the time has, has anything been mm. better than that and I, and I just think because as I say because at the time I didn't go into it thinking wow this is going to be my only opportunity to drive this car and it's the last of its kind I just went into it thinking this is a, a, the latest thing there'll be another one along later um, mm. and because there wasn't you sort of look back and think blimey that was a pretty special experience and pretty special sensation um, and it's also one of those cars that if I don't drive again I wouldn't be disappointed because I think I've had I've had such fantastic experiences driving them that I'd be quite happy not to drive one again. Although if someone did say, "Would you like to come and drive my Crayo GT?" Of course I would. But <laughs> it's just that thing of I don't think it could get better. It would just be as good as it always will be. It will just be that car. You, you can't top it. No, I, I, I don't think anything. Things will be faster than it and drive better and have more power and have more performance and things. But I just think that was. The whole experience, yeah. the whole as, as an experience, event was, of driving was special. Was, was, yeah, very, very special. Um, but driving and as any car, not just because of it was a supercar, just that experience. The first time I drove it was in, in just outside Berlin, and, you, and it, they weren't quite wisely for Porsche. They weren't uh, tight, twisty roads. They were quite flat and quite open, but it just meant you could enjoy it and just sort of explore that engine. And since then, driving them in the UK and stuff, you still... It's still an experience. It's still just a wonderful, mesmerising, visceral experience that you think, "Oh, this is fantastic." Don't want to give it back. Um, but if I never, if I never drove one again, I'd still have just those memories and, and of driving them, and just think it's great. And, I, and everyone says, "Oh, have you got any video footage of it?" It's like, "Well, no, because it was kind of pre-video." And I'm quite glad I haven't, because it means you just keep watching it, and it, it sort of loses that specialness. I'd rather have it. Yeah. It's just a. You should see it in my mind. It's yeah. epic. <laughs> you should see what I'm thinking. <laughs> okay, then. Well, to take you away from the goodness, what has been your least favourite car to drive, and why is that? Um, there's a couple. Yeah, it's obviously the Mars <laughs> Fiesta that was absolutely horrendous. Um, and then Alpha's 4C, which I know is an easy one to give a kicking to, but it's so disappointing because you walk up to it thinking this is going to be fantastic because it looked how can a car this good not be good to drive and unfortunately it's not which is a real shame um well i saw my first one ever on the road it looked absolutely uh, a few weeks ago actually around the corner from the evo triangle because my parents live around the corner from there yeah when sorry the question i did mean to ask you do you know when the triangle was christened the evo triangle yeah i think it was the first time we planned to go there when we were having a planning meeting because um, performance car used to use it before Evo used it which is why we knew what the roads were um, and I think it was I probably should check with Dickie but I think it was actually called the performance car triangle but because back then there was no social media and it was no one sort of car uses up a lot of your 140 characters that yeah exactly so um, yeah <laughs> sort of coined it in one of the early issues when we were there we sort of explaining where we go and what roads we're using and um, it would have been something either John or Dickie just put into their copy and it uh, it stayed well I felt very lucky to uh, grow up 
in my very formative driving years near there. So I was, I, I've been very lucky with some of the roads I've lived near. Yeah, we feel um, guilty that we've ruined it for everyone now. Um, well, there's there's a couple of roads not too far away from there which I think are better, but I'm, I won't tell on. I may tell you after, yeah. but I won't tell you on because <laughs> I don't want anyone to use them. <laughs> um, okay, so sorry, I, yeah. I just I've derailed that one. So we've got the Fiesta is yeah, the Fiesta. absolutely dreadful. It was a um, appalling four C because it's so disappointing because you expect yeah. it's just so high because it looks so gorgeous. Um, and I was fortunate enough to drive a nine six two on the road. That was absolutely petrifying um because i'm not sure the a64 is the best place to drive one of those <laughs> it certainly wasn't um it's one of the few cars i got out of and just gave back to the owner said, can you drive it please i'm scared um <laughs> not, one my, not one of my best i like life <laughs> yeah i got out of that and got into a Carrera gt which seemed like a electronic box god this is relaxing yeah <laughs> what a roof on it's lovely and, and, so yeah, that was um, yeah. Least favourite cars for very different reasons. Um, there's lots mm-hmm. of obviously other cars that you sort of get anything. Why are these actually being produced? Um, and who buys them? Such as small capacity diesel engine SUVs, which um, don't see. Well, I just don't understand them. I know why people buy them, but I, I pity the poor engineers that have to actually work on those things and, and get them through. They just seems to be a pointless car, just buy a hatchback. It, um, they've got better packaging, more space, they're more efficient, um, more fun. Or if, you, or if you need the space, get an estate. Yes, so don't start on that, yeah. Estate cars, why? Oh, I, I love an estate. Yeah, well, why, why do people need need bigger cars with less space in them? But, um, well, that, that was my, uh, I have a deep, deep hatred of MPVs for that reason that they have, people have been sold something they are not uh, see MPVs I can see because you can just get people in them it's SUVs where there's um... uh, but the the MPV the way it was a lot of them were sold was oh and then you can go off places with all your stuff and you can't if you've got all the people in there's no boot yeah there is that you then have to put a roof box on or a trailer in this <laughs> so <laughs> Doesn't do, or, or, or buy a you know Caravelle or the um, what's the Mercedes version? You know, if you happen to have that much money, uh, obviously, because oh, they're not cheap. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, if you, if you need to transport that many people and you need space, buy something like that. You know, <laughs> and, and, but then I feel very much um, ever decreasing circles because that's what he did, didn't he? he bought a transit. Yeah. Um, thing, and I, it just makes me feel that I'm him, and I'll have to turn the phone round if it had wires anymore. Okay then, so what car uh, would you like to own next? And this can be, money's no object, or it can be a realistic, uh, the, it's completely up to you. I'm going to go realistic, because I think money no object is a cop-out. Um, and uh, I'm going to go with the Mark I at least, um, is what I want to buy. I'm not sure how well it would do when we live so close to Salt River. be fine for a couple of weeks. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm worried about the electrics more than anything. And uh, no, I might want to lease. I just think it's one of those cars that I obviously remember it when it was launched, which was when I was I've been driving for a couple of years, and it was like, oh, blimey, look at that! Isn't that mega? Yeah. Mm. I've I've seen for some reason I seem to have seen a lot of them being talked about on Twitter or 
seen articles about them. And I've never driven one, and I'm getting an incredibly strong itch that needs scratching. Oh, they're just, they, they are just, I think they're, for me, love Catrums, Catrum 7s, but I think the Elise just gives it that bit more usability. And I don't see the point of having something that you need to make an excuse to drive or you can come up with an excuse not to drive. Mm. I was fortunate enough when EJ first launched the Mark 1 Elise, was still a current car, so I got to drive numerous versions of it tuned and standard and different factory power outputs and stuff. When everyone I drove, I just fell in love with it. You know, whenever someone, whenever one needed collecting from Hethel, I'd be hand up. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> just love them. I just think the purity of them, the simplicity of them, it's kind of your reset button when you drive an Elise. You sort of, everything else, fortunate. This is, this is the essence of a sports car. Yeah. Is that is that what it is? Is that it's the they've distilled the really important bits, yeah. and of course there's lightness, obviously. Yeah, it's 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 light, it's efficient, it's fast free, it's, it does everything it's designed to do, um, and yeah, we can joke about reliability and all that sort of stuff, but um, there's some cars that cost a lot more money that I won't tell you that are equally as um, unreliable as as products from Hethel. Um, but that's, I think, why collectively the motoring world from Britain uh, seemed to, on Twitter, when we heard about Geely, went, yes! <laughs> so, please invest. Yeah, and I think the... Um, I just think, well, that car is expensive now, but they keep launching endless versions of it to, to try and bring the price down, and, and they have just done that and I think under D they will get back to, to realising that actually one of the USPs is having a very affordable entry point car and people do want a very affordable entry point performance car it was it was successful when it was launched for, for that very reason um, yeah. and it's the appeal to me it's just, it's, it is that reset it's, it's a, well as driving is more and more of a chore for more people even those of us who love to drive a lot of our journeys are hard work. Oh, God, yeah. Whether it's the infrastructure, the other people on the road, or what, we'd, what we're on the road to do. Yeah. To have the ability to have something that we can just go and have fun in, is, is, it cannot be underestimated. And you, and you don't have to go be going a million miles an hour to have fun in it, which is... No, no, absolutely. The biggest thing on the agenda at the moment is, where, is the question we ask every time we get out of a, the latest performance car in the supercar is, well, where is anyone actually going to be able to use this performance we're fortunate we have we can look circuits and and what have you but you do wonder if how's a punter going to use this and enjoy it um well that that makes me um that that that's something i get cross with about the uh, electric vehicles the evs yeah. oh naught to 60 in 2.1 what's the point in that yeah. it's that is that is a for an electric vehicle that cannot be more meaningless of course you're going to be quick because of the way that an electric motor and the, the lack of gearing and the, the, it's, the power is delivered works, you will be quick. Yeah. Can you please get me over 300 miles in one charge? Then I'm going to be impressed. Yeah. It's, but this whole uh, let's race to who can get to 60 quickest, stop doing that. It's silly. It's, there's no point. I think what they've done, they've, they've, that was their attempt to try and appeal to the car enthusiast, and all they've done is alienate the, the genuine sort of first adopters who want to be able to yes. drive models, <laughs> and they're now realising well, actually we need to backtrack and start talking about range again and uh, how, far they, how far you can go on it. So, um, yeah, the electric stuff is... is is interesting. I think there's an opportunity for it to offering it smaller performance cars away from the big hypercar stuff and just having sensible applications of uh, 
an electric, you know, we, we talk about that in the office of, of sticking an electric motor on the rear axle of a hot hatch with a small battery pack that, that charges and um, you, you can end up with, you know, with a nice little power boost or an element of uh, four-wheel drive or even rear-wheel drive and, and increase and give the performance, you know, give sort of smaller cars a, a different performance angle that appeals mm, to different audiences yeah. that get people back into enjoying cars again. That's interesting, get yeah. new yeah. people into to enjoy cars who perhaps wouldn't in the first place. Mm. But yeah, I mean, that goes, that's, a, that's massively off-tangent from me wanting to buy a Mark 1 Elise in yellow. Um, <laughs> yellow as well? Okay, oh, brilliant. Yeah, it was one of the launch colours. It's got to be yellow. Yeah. <laughs> or my go big or go home. My <laughs> green and brown leather in brown leather seats but I'm not sure I'm going to find one of those for, for good reason <laughs> okay so what's your favourite road to drive on at the moment and this sounds really boring but there's a road um, to and from our new office and it's about seven or eight miles and it's a um, lovely piece of B road it's not the B660 um, and it's just great because um, I spend a huge amount of my time up and down boring motorways and stuff but and my commute is quite long, so it's just that nice end of the run or the start on the way home of just being able to drive a car on these on a really challenging road. It's not it's quick in some areas, but it's got a multitude of surfaces and cambers and different corners and stuff. And it's just a really good road to get under the skin of a car. Um, and it's kind of become my unofficial test route, really. Um, and it's just really enjoyable. It's it's just long enough to really get you hooked into it and get in a rhythm and a flow. Not too long where you have to sort of really focus and think, right, I'm going to psych myself up for this. This is 20 miles of absolute going for it. Um, it's just the right distance. Um, you can get a good, you don't need to be going a banzai speed to get the most out of a car or to enjoy the, the route as well. So yeah, it's just one of those sort of, and it's totally unexpected I found it because I was getting I got lost going to our new office one morning um, <laughs> and just across it and because all the sat navs take you in a completely different way and uh, mm. as well I can't remember what car I was in a car I might be in Alcatra um, that we were running and of course I had no sort of sat nav and I got lost in St. Neots of all places and then popped out on this road and thought oh this is quite good and um, I've used it ever since and uh, yeah it's just a really just, just that unexpected of finding a road that you didn't know was there and actually drive it a couple of times and think, blimey, this is actually quite a good, a good road and I don't have to go to North Wales to test the car. Um, yes, quite. It's, uh, <laughs> it's quite normal. Yeah, but it gives you a benchmark because yeah. it's low. It's, you know, it, it's it, that that's, that's something uh, I, I found with the the cars we've been lucky enough to be loaned is that I try and use a, a specific route regular because I'm getting a benchmark. Oh, well, this other thing was on this and it handled these dreadful potholes all right and this one doesn't and and i think that's um that that's something i've learned that i need to do and uh, your yeah. years of experience have uh, got you there yeah. you you know that already <laughs> but it's, it's crucial to just and it's just finding those roads that you know if you drive every car down there if someone asks you what how does y compare to, to x you you're, you're confident in saying well actually this is this has better brakes this has better ride Mm. Earring's not great on this one. It's just, and in in this job, it's, it, that's crucial finding a, a, a good road and, and keep using it for everything. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's obviously there's the roads of the of, uh, up in Scotland, up in the Highlands, are absolutely amazing, but they're a little bit impractical to get to. 
Um, <laughs> not not every week anyway. Yeah, and they're yeah they're they're special road once a year sort of things. But I think it's it's crucial to have a local a local route or a local road that you can use. You, you know, whether you're swapping cars every night or whether you're um you you've got your own car and you just want that bit of escapism to have your own road. Yeah, you can enjoy and you know and you can drive safely and um and still get a thrill from driving it. That that's key. Yeah. Okay then. So, what's the most pointless optional extra you've had the misfortune to experience? Just one. Just well, you can you can do as many as you like. Um, what have I got down here? God, uh, where to start is what I've got down here. Um, the biggest bugbear is anything that um, no one struggled with for the first hundred years of the motor car. <laughs> um, so things like auto headlights and auto wipers and all that stuff that just makes people stop thinking about driving. And then they drive along in the dark because they're auto headlights. They turn them off and don't know how to turn them back on again. And they'll drive down the motorway without their wipers on because the auto wiper hasn't come on because they've changed the setting. And, uh, and they're that belligerent kind of, well, the wipers haven't come on, so it can't be raining. And it's not dark because the lights haven't come on. And you just think, oh, say, think for yourself. Um, be aware of what's going on. And same with parking sensors. Anyone who can't park without a parking sensor, really? Um, you know, if the car vibrates and it goes bump, you've gone too close. But uh, Well, now, mm, now, I don't think a parking sensor is vital, but I do think it does make it easier. No. just makes you think less. And then you get out and you've got, how much, you've got so much space, you can get another car in the gap. Oh, well, you, you do need to learn what your beeps mean. Yeah, and people, not enough people do. I think it's just making, no, it just makes people, anything yeah. that makes people lazy, basically. Well, what a lot of these, uh, I've, well, I've come to the conclusion in my own uh, dark universe, is that a lot of these safety things are dumbing down to the the worst case. Of course, yeah. so uh, we're really... pandering to the most stupid that the rest of us now have to put up with. Yeah, it's this, it's. it's, it's Designed for the lowest common denominator, isn't it? Of right, what mm. the thickest person is likely to be who gets behind the wheel. And instead of either educating them out of it or, or not allowing them to be behind the wheel in the first place. Yeah, exactly. You know, if someone doesn't realise when it's dark you need to turn the lights on, when it's raining you turn your wipers on, and it, uh, they shouldn't really be behind the wheel of something that could kill someone. Um, and they clearly don't appreciate it. And, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so it's sort of that sort of those options that people think they need and couldn't live without sat-nav. No one used to be getting lost was quite fun. You don't need sat-nav. It never works anyway. <laughs> well, it's not a trip with me unless you take at least one wrong turning, that's for sure. As my family will testify. Yeah. <laughs> Except for school. I can make it to school now. <laughs> but that's wrong. Whereas, you know, you lose all that sense of finding somewhere you didn't really want to go but thinking it was quite nice and worth, worth the detour. And I think having a... But yeah, because nowadays you'll, you will never do the, that car in front of me, I think they know where they're going, so I'll follow them. Yeah, you'll, just, you'll blindly follow a nav that doesn't really, know, doesn't really know where it's going. It infuriates me all the time. You think, why is the sat nav sending me that way? It's not, I know how to get to my office. Why are you sending me that way? From the same, you can get in one car from the manufacturer one day, take another car home from the same manufacturer and the sat nav will try and take you two very different routes home. You think, why? And there's people who will follow that blindly and either add, normally it's always adding time and distance to their journey completely unnecessarily because they don't know where they're going. Mm. So, yeah, um, don't know how sat-nav. 
don't mind, it's just sound like an old Come on. <laughs> I was going to say that. Come and join me on Old Man's Porch, where we shout at the internet. Now. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Penultimate question then. Uh, who do you think I should talk to after you? I think you should talk to Colin Goodwin. Okay. Because he'd be um, he'd be fantastic on this because he won't hold back. If he's anything like he is when he's with me in the pub, um, <laughs> he will be fantastic. Yeah. He, he's um, yeah. Speak to Cole. He'd be great. Okay. I will add him to the hit list. Sounds more sinister than it really is. Uh, it's just a spreadsheet. <laughs> but there we go. And so, just before I say thank you very much, what are the best ways for people to follow what you do or uh, follow Evo and things like that? Because I'll put links in the show notes for all this. Buy the magazine would be lovely. Subscribing would be even better, which they can do through evo.co.uk. Um, and obviously on our social media channels, so we're on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And you'll also find all of the, the team tweeting as well from their own um, accounts on Twitter, which you can find, I think, on the website. You can definitely find them in the magazine. It's one of those, mm-hmm. you probably print them in the magazine, but don't print them on the website because um, that would be far too obvious and easy. So, um, in fact, I would make a note of that. And well, I think there's a, there's a few at least have Evo in their Twitter Some of them have Evo in their Twitter names, um, in their Twitter handles. But, uh, yeah, you'll, you'll find us sort of, Everywhere, really. Um, okay, and if people want to follow you on Twitter, what's uh, the best way? What is my own Twitter handle? God, it's like someone asking you for your own mobile phone number. Oh, Stuart G nine one seven. That was original of me, wasn't it? It's the magazine <laughs> I was working for when I came up with that. <laughs> Perhaps I should put Evo in there. No, I won't. I'll leave it at that. Um, no, no, I, uh, I, I think I was talking to someone else. Say talk, stalk, the same. It's all the same. It's all the same. <laughs> well, um, it just leaves me to say thank you so much for coming on here, and uh, I really appreciate you giving up your evening like this. No, um, sorry, you'll, you'll probably have to go through this and edit it down to sort of you'll get thirty seconds of usable material. No, no, no. I think you're going to be a two-parter. Oh God! Really? Yes. What, have your, what have your listeners done to deserve that? <laughs> no, but it's been, it's, it has been really fascinating. I've really enjoyed learning uh, what an editor does and how uh, Evo go about doing the stuff they do and how they're constantly trying to improve. Um, it's been uh, brilliant talking to you because I find uh, following, if anybody doesn't follow you on Twitter, they should because it's hilarious. Um, oh, he's lying. He's just being honest. No, no, I, I do find it very funny, particularly when the call out for tea goes around your office clearly. Or, or pe- you asking people to submit their work and things like that. I, I, I do enjoy that. <laughs> well, at least I don't have to ask that question, and or I'm not on the other end of it, so that's that's good fun. Uh, and like I said earlier, please keep making that car of the year. That's wonderful. That is a wonderful we'll film. Don't please don't stop that. If you can afford not to stop that, don't. <laughs> we will do that, and, hope, and uh, the plan is to do that and also do more. So. Um do more from Carl. Well, I'm, I'm not going to object to that at all in any shape or form. So, uh, so thank you once again, and it's been it's been great to chat to you. Thank you. And you, thank you. And that is the end of part two of my chat with Stuart. I apologise for my voice in these two episodes, but I have children, and as we all know, they are disgusting, disease-carrying creatures who this time have managed to infect me. But more importantly, thanks once again to Stuart for coming on review and chatting to me. I hope you found his passion for magazines and dislike of MGFs as fascinating as I did. If you want to suggest someone I should ask to come on this show, please do get in touch. If you use the hashtag RearViewPod, we'll be guaranteed to see it here in Motoring Podcast Towers. 
If you would like to get in touch with me directly, search for Crack Windscreen on Twitter. And if you'd like to keep up to date with motoring news, opinions and car reviews, go try out The Sister Show, which is the Motoring Podcast. Remember, you can support everything we do at The Motoring Podcast in a couple of ways. Please go to themotoringpodcast.com forward slash support to see what they are. I would also really appreciate it if you could tell others about this show. I want as many as possible to hear the stories of these great people who come on here. So until next time, that was Stuart Gallagher. I've been Andrew Clues, and safe motoring.